Hey everybody, it's your buddy Jack. Uh, thank you for tuning in. I'm hoping you're having a good day, or will have a good day. You know, as always, I want to wish you a good, happy, blessed day. Or if you're at the end of your day, I hope that it was a good or blessed day for you. Right? You know, I try to stay on the positive ends of things because I'm just that way. That's something I like to be sure that I do. I see the glass half full, right? Because my day... Today was good for me. It was uh, good. I enjoy what I do. Um, I enjoy the people I work with, and I enjoy doing this. So if you're um, a return listener, I thank you so much. I appreciate your time. You'll never know how much of a blessing it is. Um, I noticed on uh, my list of places, of course, uh, there's places all over the globe that tune in, and I got a new place, Nigeria was really kind of cool to see that um, uh, got picked up there in Nigeria. So there's a few people in Nigeria that are listening. Hey, that's cool. I'm grateful for you guys, and thanks again for tuning in. I absolutely appreciate it. Real quick, don't forget to hit that support button. I appreciate anything that you feel led to contribute. I count it all a blessing, no matter what it is. And I am absolutely grateful, whatever amount it is. It does help me take care of my equipment, that kind of stuff, right? And don't forget to hit that message button. Start a conversation with me. I really would like that. Um, maybe on any given topic that you listen to, you've got some more added insight, some of your own experiences. Um, I would love to hear them. I would love to hear them because that's what this podcast is about, finding some recovery, whether it's from addictions uh, or mental health issues or family issues, right? It's sort of an all-encompassing um, podcast, and that's one of my – it's hard to say it's my like my favorite topic because it's really a whole bunch of topics in one. So today we're going to be talking about traits of someone in recovery. Lots of people, lots of people are attending meetings, self-help meetings everywhere. Some of them in, in leadership of those meetings, right? Whether you're chairing an AA meeting or chairing a, um, an NA meeting or leading and celebrate recovery. Some of you guys know that I do that. Sometimes you have to really look to see what is the real evidence of someone living a recovery lifestyle, right? So let me start with this episode. It'll be the last episode of this series um, by asking how can you tell when someone is truly living in recovery, a recovery-oriented lifestyle? How would you know? The phrase dry drunk, <laughs> the phrase dry drunk didn't just appear out of nowhere. And that term, as some of you may know, some of you may not, the term refers to the idea that a person may have stopped drinking or using drugs or say their mental health is under control, but it seems that some of their character defects have stayed behind, stayed an ingrained part of that person's behavior. So realistically, the only thing missing is the drugs or the alcohol. Otherwise, maybe their character defects are still there, manifesting some sort of lewd or crude behaviors, right? So come on. I know some of you may know someone um, has sobered up, but it's still very hard to be around, very hard to get along with, right? Maybe maybe they cheat, maybe they lie, 
maybe they're very condescending or demeaning, controlling maybe to their families and maybe to their friends too. Um, any of those things or all of those things, they, uh, they always seem uh, to be miserable in their life. So based on this description that I've just shared with you, would it be safe to say that a person like this is just one argument, one chaotic moment away from relapse? I think so. I think it's safe to say that because it could be very true. You're riding the blade edge, right? Riding the blade edge, being a dry drunk, as this is described. Your attitude is still poor. Your personality is still rough, questionable. The way you treat people, still rough, questionable. So, next question. Does any of the of this change just because one person may lead or chair an AA group or meeting? Or maybe lead or chair an NA meeting? Or any group for that matter. There's some mental health groups out there too. But does any of it change just because of this scenario? No. It does not change anything. It doesn't exempt you just because you become someone who's in a healthier place. Sort of. <laughs> I'm using that term lightly. Because you perceivably are in a healthier place and you're chairing or helping um, lead these other groups or ministries like Celebrate Recovery. You guys know that I lead in a, in a, in a couple of different CR groups. Right? But... No, it does not exempt you from still dealing with stressors. Some of these character defects can still manifest themselves, even though you are a leader in any of these self-help groups. What they all have in common, this is the deal, what they all have in common is that they are groups for sick people ran by sick people who should have or better have some substantial recovery time under their belt. Hopefully they're a little ahead. Well, I say a little, but I mean substantial. A few years clean and sober or stable in their mental health before they're chairing or leading uh, meetings, right? You know, you want these people to be ahead of the newcomers as much as possible. Now, one definition of recovery I get from the SAMHSA website, that's S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov. I can't remember what that acrostic stands for right off the top of my head, but um, it's a great website. It's got a lot of recovery and treatment information on that website. It's really good. So if you're someone who is uh, listening and uh, in search of finding um, some treatment ideas, I suggest that, that website. Now, their recovery definition stands as this, or states this, a process of change through which individuals improve their health and wellness, live a self-directed life, and strive to reach their full potential. Now, one disclaimer, not everybody's full potential is going to be the same. 
right? Because there's different variations in what people can do cognitively, where their brain function is, right? Of course, no one's full potential will be the same. All sorts of things come in to play there. Were you born with a disability, maybe, or slowed some sort of maybe slowed thinking or cognitive ability or, or brain function? Or if you weren't born f- with it, you know, these things could be created by some sort of brain damage from a car accident, maybe, or a stroke, maybe a heart attack. You know, sometimes those create blood clots and, and they get stuck in the brain, right? And some people uh, recover from that kind of thing. I've had two strokes myself. Um, luckily, <laughs> maybe my wife would debate that, but I feel like I'm pretty good cognitively. <laughs> I don't know what my wife would say. Um, I don't know. I may have to ask her. I keep talking about having her on. I need to do that. And her and I can have some husband-wife conversation. Uh, I think that would really be good and healthy. But whatever the case may be, whether you were born with some sort of delayment or or, or brain or cognitive dysfunction or have one later, not everyone's full potential is going to be as good as some others. Well, all of that said, I want to focus here uh, on people who are seemingly, that seemingly have no delay or disability at all. How would you know, how would you know that that person is in recovery? Let's go over several areas that could be an indication of positive recovery health or the reverse. As you hear it, you may go, that's missing from this person or myself, if you're going to be honest, those things seem to be missing from what I feel like my recovery is, or that person or those people seem to be lacking in that area. So once we get to them, you'll be able to cipher through that information, right? Maybe you'll see where you fall and if applicable, can fall with your, you can follow up um, with your sponsor or accountability partner if that's the case where I share some of this information and you feel like you got a question about your own recovery. This podcast is about recovery, recovery in all areas of life and areas that include your family. All right, here we go. Sobriety behaviors such as abstaining from substances, attending meetings, and reducing legal entanglements, family restoration when healthy, were high priorities. They worked together, right? They worked diligently to develop key character traits that strengthened the sobriety behaviors. That's what we're looking at. Are all these behaviors that come with getting clean and sober or healthy that also strengthened sobriety behaviors and promoted them more positive, healthy behaviors. Those who succeeded uh, succeeded in recovery are more balanced, positive, connected, determined, and hopefully, hopefully, right, everything started going good when they first started. They've lived, people in recovery, they've lived 
and are living a recovery journey. Now, not everybody's recovery journey is going to look the same either, right? There are many pathways to recovery. Some people um, enjoy AA. Some people enjoy NA. For some people, 28-day residential treatment worked really, really well. And on the flip side, some people did really good with outpatient treatment. And then, of course, my favorite that I've worked in, I've worked in all of these, um, incarceration, a safe piece, substance abuse felony program. It's one of those places that looks like a prison, but it's designed to be six months up to one year incarceration, drug and alcohol treatment. Sometimes it takes something substantial like that. But to be honest with you, I've seen some success in just outpatient treatment too. So I've mentioned before, I've been asked that question a million times. How long is long enough? But I've had people be successful in outpatient treatment. They go to for six months, live their normal life, go to work every day and do their own thing and come to outpatient groups two or three hours a day or every other day, that kind of thing. Same with the safe P, just the opposite. You figure a year was good, but I've seen repeat offenders in there. So I don't know. I don't know how long is long enough. So let's talk about this first one, this first trait. Stay honest with yourself and others. A strong recovery is built on integrating and uh, transparency. It's built on integrity and transparency. I love that. A strong recovery is built on integrity and transparent transparency. This critical trait becomes both the starting point and the foundation of your recovery journey. Understanding the problem, admitting its depth, and acknowledging the consequences that have followed pushes the start button on your entire recovery process. Much of addiction is built on dishonesty and the powerful forces of deception, minimization, denial, and rationalization. They lock your mind into a pattern of defeat that keep you bound and stuck. Honestly breaks, honesty breaks that locked pattern and moves you into recovery. Question. What attitudes or habits do you need to adjust in to stay honest with others and yourself? Maybe you should write that down. What attitudes or habits do you need to adjust in to stay honest with others and yourself? Second trait. You know your vulnerabilities. What makes you vulnerable? Be aware of your own temptations and triggers to slip back again even though you have begun your journey with honesty and enthusiasm problems may block your progress and it may be easy to fall into old damaging patterns and destructive choices you don't want to backslide right you don't want to backslide identity or identifying the enemies of change allows you to build adequate defenses, strengthen yourself where you can, and avoid 
what you must. Avoid the things you must. Those people, places, and things that cause you to even consider relapsing, right? You got to know what your own triggers are. Where in your life do you need to be especially cautious and aware in order to safeguard your recovery? That's a good question. Where in your life do you need to be especially cautious and aware? That will look different for everybody. Do you know if you're someone who tends to snap at people, even in a room full of people? Is that you? It's, you know, I've, I've seen people do that, right? They're talking about being in recovery and living a life of recovery, but they still tend to be this very bossy, condescending, challenging type personality, right? And you have to be careful with that because that type of personality could be triggering for someone else. Could be triggering for someone else. So you have to be kind of careful with how you deal with people. It is a struggle. You know, I had this mentor once who actually was the guy who helped me start my path into addictions counseling. He used to say that every good counselor should know their limitations. He's referring to those things that could still trigger despite being a counselor, right? That's what that means. He's every good counselor should know their limitations. That's what he's referring to. Those things in your past that could still trigger you despite being a counselor. Just because you get a license in counseling doesn't exempt you from life on life's terms. I have come to believe that holds true not, all, not only with all counselors and therapist types, but also those who lead in other areas of recovery, like AA, NA, Celebrate Recovery. You should know your limitations, know what kind of things trigger you. Besides, if you're in any of those places, you're helping to lead other people uh, to start or continue in their journey of recovery. So you have to be mindful of what kind of things trigger you. Third, remain humble and accepting. Be careful for other um, chance to get your life back. Be grateful for another chance to get your life back. It's pretty simple. Remain humble and accepting. Be grateful for another chance to get your life back, I'm grateful. I know my wife's grateful. And I work with a lot of people who are grateful. They've been, they have a long-term recovery from several different issues, whether it's eating disorders, mental health, alcoholism, or drug addiction. A lot of people I know are grateful. Review what you're, th- what you're thankful for and be aware of how others have been kind to you. Be aware how other people have been kind to you, right? And you should, if you're in these areas and working or ministering or leading or volunteering, should be kind to other people. Pay it forward, right? That's kind of the game that they talk about in the rooms of these recovery meetings. In order to keep it, you got to give it away, right? 
Got to give it away. Plus, we all know it's really best to be kind to people. I think you get farther um, by being kind to people. Living with a humble outlook and a healthy view of what you have and who you are helps you recover. It helps your recovery go beyond behavior and into deep life change. And I think with that deep life change comes better, more healthy behaviors. Anyway, that's a good thing. It affects your mood positively and offers encouragement along your journey. Starting today, how can you practice staying grateful? It's a good question. Good question. I know. I, I just said it a second ago. I know a lot of people who are grateful, but I know a lot of people who are not. And sometimes they won't tell you that they're not in a good place. And maybe it's not that they're ungrateful. But I would challenge how sober-minded they are. Because sometimes based on their attitude... It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. So here's the fourth one, fourth trait. Stay close to those who support your recovery and distance yourself from those who do not. Pretty easy concept, right? Pretty easy concept. Get close to those that support your recovery and get away from those who don't. And you know what? Sometimes... It's the family that don't. I hate to say that, but I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen where people have friends that are more supportive than their own family. And I get it. Sometimes the family been burned more times than any of the friends have. But you have to at least continue to hope for some recovery in that family member's life. You have to still pray that something will happen. I have my youngest daughter who's thousands of miles away from our home state. Um, has been her active addiction for the last, I don't know, four or five years, I guess. In and out, sober up, clean up, relapse and recycle, you know. It's kind of a revolving door out there in that world. And she's burned a lot of bridges with both sides of her family. And no, if she came home, she probably would not be welcome in my home. I don't know that she would be welcome. It's just my stepdaughter. I don't know that she would be welcome in her father's home. But that doesn't mean that I don't want the best for her. That doesn't mean that I don't continue to pray for her and hope that she can over overcome this I don't know, it's an ugly beast. I don't know if you know what heroin addiction looks like. It is an ugly beast. So get away from those people who do not support you. Being part of a closely connected social group is one of the best ways to increase overall contentment, build accountability, and establish your recovery. Not everybody likes AA or NA, but you can't knock it. It's helped millions of people. 
And there are a lot of people out there that are looking for more of a Christ-centered, faith-based approach. And if that's you, find a Celebrate Recovery. That's pretty easy. You can There's a CelebrateRecovery.com that will help you find um, a group around you, connect you with a state rep around you uh, that will help you get connected to the groups that are closest to you. But establish, begin to establish a recovery circle of people. Connections with like-minded people often or offer camaraderie and encouragement. Besides, you were connecting with like-minded people out in the drug world or the drinking world. Take that same concept into your recovery. Surround yourself by recovery-minded people. You may need to limit your contact with those who do not support your recovery goals. Right? It's, you know, that's something that you just might have to do. Separate yourselves from those who do not support your recovery goals, especially in the beginning. When you get stronger and gain some momentum and you're able to tolerate the negativity of these people, especially if they're family, then maybe. But even then, I would limit your interaction with them. Belonging to a positive social network will help you feel understood, accepted, and supported. Those are key elements. Key elements. You need to start off, especially in the beginning, with a group of people that help you or make you feel understood, accepted, and supported. How are you going to uh, um, stay connected to others and strengthen your recovery. How are you going to go about that? Figure it out. Write it down. Make a list of people. Pros and cons of people. This person, yes, they're healthy. This person, mm, maybe so, not so much, question mark. But don't wait till you're in a crisis to try to figure out who those people are. How are you going to start a list or start being able to to get connected to others and strengthen your recovery? It's a good, good question. I have to add this, that you should also be willing to hear what these supportive people have to say. When you create this circle of people, whether it's friends or family or a combination of both, be willing to hear them out. Be willing... Oh my gosh, I can't even emphasize that enough. Be willing to hear what these supportive people have to say. If they help you challenge your thinking, that's who you need to be around. If they help you challenge your own thinking, that's who you need to be around. Not all your friends are yes people, right? And if... All of your friends are yes people. I promise you, somebody at some point is going to yes you right back into a bad decision. That's why people, I know a lot of people who would tell you that they don't really like their sponsors or accountability partners. Jokingly, of course, because if you have a good one, they don't always agree with your ideas. They don't always agree with your theory. They can almost sense when you're trailing off into some stinking thinking. 
and they can help safeguard you from beginning that roller coaster, right? Because everybody knows relapse happens way before you actually pick up. It starts with those little negative thoughts about yourself or that little jab that maybe a friend or family gave you when I talked about being condescending and demeaning. Maybe they put you down. Maybe they reminded you of some horrible things that you've done, whatever the activating event might be. From that point to the relapse could be one day, one week, one year. So let these people help you challenge your own thinking. People who challenge you in a positive ways can end up being your guardian angel. Fifth trait. Number five, find your primary reason for doing the work of recovery and keep it first and foremost. Man, why are you in rec- Why did you want to get clean and sober? Or get stable in your mental health or stop, I don't know, whatever sexual addictions, gambling, whatever you want to throw in there. Figure out what it is, your primary reason, because that's what's going to be your motivation, your reason for doing the work of recovery, and you're going to work on keeping it first and foremost in your life. That's how recovery lives. Finding the most important reason to be clean, to be sober or stable in your mental health can be used as a dynamic and driving force to build or sustain momentum in your recovery, even when it plateaus, right? Even when a plateau occurs or challenges emerge, you stand on the momentum of the reason for even starting. You will feel less determined and less motivated if you feel forced to be different. Find reasons that work for you. Find reasons that motivate you. Find a pathway that motivates you. Right? I've never believed that a one-size-fits-all sort of cookie-cutter program is ever a good thing. You have to figure it out. And you got to, unfortunately, kind of figure it out pretty fast. But there's something that would be there available to you that could be a driving force and help you succeed in your recovery. Take charge of your own recovery. Be strong-minded and resolved to set your course and become the person you want to be. Motivation and commitment are strengthened as you exercise your own will and as you decide to change your own life. What primary reasons are motivating you? How do those reasons impact your motivation level? Good questions. If you're new to recovery, you're just getting the ball rolling. And whatever activating event was that started you to make the choices towards recovery, lean on those. Lean on those. Are those reasons healthy? Know that for sure first. Are those reasons healthy? Have you managed your recovery solely to show the newcomer the right way? 
is the hidden motive ran by some sort of superiority complex? You have to be aware of those sort of or that sort of stinking thinking. I've been in a few rooms of AA where people have had five and up to ten years and longer clean and sober, and there's some seems to be some sort of pecking order. It's very clickish, and I'm I apologize for that for those people. I get it, but I don't care if you got 20 years clean and sober in that room or 20 minutes clean and sober in that room. Everybody there is one crisis away from a relapse. One crisis away from a relapse. So because you've got 20 years, buddy, please, please hang on to the reasons for how you obtained those 20 years and don't try to manage the newcomer. Don't try to come across in some sort of managerial whatever in the rooms of AA. You're the same. I'm the same. The newcomer is the same. Number six. Here's the sixth one. Keep work a lot. Keep work, love, projects, and people integrated in a finely tuned in harmony. Keep your work, loved ones, projects, and people keep it smooth keep it smooth keep them integrated in a finely in finely tuned harmony when clients are in treatment they are able to focus almost completely on recovery as time moves on life becomes more complicated and even chaotic the routines of life make, oh, this is so true. The routines of life make every increasing demands for time and attention grow. You get out of treatment, you've been distracted by classrooms, counselors, and your recovering peers. But then when you leave, you're faced with unemployment. If you lost your job, you're faced with, um, I don't know, maybe no home if, you know, you were renting a house and they booted you out because you haven't been there since you've been in treatment. Or maybe you spend all your drinking and drug money on, <clears throat> on, on not paying rent, right? That's where the money went. Was. Sometimes the struggles get really real when you leave treatment. So you kind of have to be prepared for that too. Living an unbalanced and narrowly focused life can increase stress and may lead to relapse. Allow friendships, humor, rest, and relaxation to bring a balance to the strains and demands of life. What are some changes you can make today and this week to stay balanced? I've talked about that when I was doing residential treatment. I did a group on it. I met, developed a group on it. And the main uh, focus was the fact that those people in treatment have been out of their element for 28, 29, maybe 30 days. And they're in a treatment facility, improving, getting healthier, right? Clearing up some of that stinking thinking. The brain chemistry is starting to clear up. Yeah, they're starting to think clear. <clears throat> but what you've done is gotten yourself out of a situation and left your family there to deal with whatever wreckage there was. 
So they're going to be mad, just as mad at you on your 30th, 30th day and as they were on your first day when they threw you into treatment. So you may be right off the bat going to be challenged by a family who is still disappointed in you. If you're going to go home after treatment expecting a Hallmark card, a wet sloppy kiss, and balloons, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. You've left your friends and family in a lot of cases to clean up the mess you created, and they're still going to be upset with you. Number seven. I do believe this might be the last one. Number seven, the seventh one. Be known for the best attitude, best effort, and best characteristic. Especially if you were a leader in any of these before mentioned groups, AANA, Celebrate Recovery. If you work in a treatment facility, whatever. Be known for the best attitude, best effort, best character. Don't always get snippy and snappy at people. You don't have to talk to them in some sort of condescending, demeaning tone. You're supposed to be someone who's uplifting when you work or volunteer in any of these areas. You're the one that should have finished strong and are now prepared to help somebody. This is a reminder to watch your attitude and your behavior. Recovery can feel long and exhausting. Those most successful in recovery maintain a great attitude, even when inconvenienced or bothered. Even when inconvenienced or bothered by others, which sounds weird to me. I've done this for a long time, and I really don't mind getting the phone calls or text messages, right? I don't mind that because that means there's somebody this wanting or hoping to gain a little bit of insight from what it is that I have to say. And for some weird reason, they feel like I'm the one to do that. So I do my best to have a best attitude. I put forth the best effort, and I hope I put forth my best character. Even when you are tired and tempted to cast the finish line, give your best effort right? That was actually whenever you are tired and tempted to coast to the finish line. Give your best effort. Don't give up. There's that one that I like to use, a little saying, don't give up five minutes for the miracle, right? I know you're going to get tired. There are going to be days where you're exhausted and those kind of, you know, being bored and tired and exhausted are triggers for you. You need to know that. Those who stay strong and motivated Make the most progress in life and in recovery. All of those traits tend to be more on the positive outlook side of things, the ones that I've gone over these seven traits. But that was the point in this particular podcast. I know I mixed in some negative pieces too, but these seven traits are really good things to be focused on. Although this does not mean that you won't still encounter some negative vibes from someone. Negative vibes from someone. I hope that you don't. I hope you don't go into a meeting, AANA, Celebrate Recovery, 
or go into treatment and find a bunch of employees that work in the treatment centers with bad attitudes. But unfortunately, it just might happen. You'll get bad vibes from someone that could even be someone leading any of these before mentioned groups or they're in ministry or in a treatment facility. It happens. Again, even leaders, even leaders in things can still have character defects. Negative people are not bad people. There is always an underlying cause of their negativity, such as substance abuse or some type of trauma. It is therefore important to view such individuals with compassion and not scorn. This is particularly vital for those who are in addiction recovery and will all have a history of such negative attitudes. I guess that's true too. Sometimes we all have a little bit of history of feeling and doing negative things, but you got to try to change it. Sometimes it may be necessary to disengage from a negative person, but it is recommended that people do this with compassion. Even as you separate yourself with, from someone, if you go to explain it, be compassionate about it. Thanks for listening. I hope you got something out of this podcast. Be sure to listen. And again, don't forget that, that message button. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be blessed. Mm-hmm.